Josh Bowe, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyBall.com, coming to you with an edition of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. Uh, no Kirk this time. He is currently en route to Texas, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Richardson specifically, as he is making his big move uh, from Virginia right outside the D.C. area to the new house that he and his wife uh, purchased. So they're pulling the U-Haul down as we speak for the 11, 12-hour drive. So we're trying to get Kirk away from the site and not work as much as possible because obviously moving uh, across that many states is very stressful. So it's just it's just me in terms of the normal host, but I do have a special guest. We have Ben from the site. And Ben, I probably should have asked this before we started recording, but I don't think I've ever said your last name and I don't want to mispronounce it. How do you pronounce your last name? Zadell. So Ben Zadell. Ben Zadell. That is embarrassing. I'm sorry, everybody. But Ben, thank you. It's funny, like... When we, you know each other, when you know people online and you don't know in person yet, uh, and you're just like using Slack and Twitter and stuff to talk, like you don't like. I never consider that kind of stuff. I mean, the first time I did a podcast with Doyle, I actually messed up his last name because I realized that I had been emailing and been in Mavs Moneyball with this guy for like ten years, but I had never actually said his last name because we'd only met in person like twice. Uh, <laughs> So Ben is with me here to talk about kind of the news of the day, which uh, I think is the Mark Stein update about the Mavericks free agency plans. Then once we kind of get through talking that, we'll talk uh, some of the free agent profiles that Ben wrote for us this past month. It's been very busy for, for a lot of our writers. They've been cranking out these free agency profiles like nobody's business it's been incredible it's been great to have that much variety of content on the site talking about a bunch of different guys because we know you guys listening and reading love off-season content that's by far the biggest thing that drives traffic to our site so we're trying to feed the beast as, as well as we can so ben uh thanks for joining me again i appreciate it yeah glad to be here making my man's Moneyball podcast debut so oh i can't believe it's I can't believe it's been that long. I'm sorry. We, we should need to get you on sooner. No, uh, I'm I'm like kind of podcast averse, so I, <laughs> I, I'm not like against it, but I'm not like eager. So I'm just happy to be here. You know, it's a it's a good time. You know, it's beginning of I guess technically the new season, so it's a good time to hop on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we've definitely had our takes in the Slack about the Mavs off season, uh, how we want it to go for sure. So it's good to finally get you on and 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 be able to talk about it. So. First off, we'll go with the biggest news of the day, which Mark Stein in his newsletter uh, on his Substack, he's no longer with the New York Times. I got to get that out of my head. Um, but he wrote uh, an article that was mainly about, you know, the Olympic team, but then kind of had some nuggets at the end going over some kind of pre-draft notes that he has from from doing various reports. And he had a Dallas update that was quite intriguing because he originally talked about the Mavericks uh, not being uh, dismissed by Kawhi Leonard's uh, ACL surgery and proceeding to pursue him as as much as possible despite that injury, which could potentially keep him out for all of next season. So this update was quite different. It seems like the Maverick, he basically said that the Mavericks uh, offseason priority is to uh, pursue Kyle Lowry, re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr., and they have basically kind of cooled off on the Kawhi Leonard chase because i think they believe that he is not you know they are just not an option for him uh ben i just want to kick it to you first off when you kind of first saw that report what was your first thought and, and how did it make you feel i'm intrigued and hopeful I, I feel like that's a big departure from 
the way they've played off seasons for the past decade. Um, I think in the past they would have, even when there were signs pointing to Kawhi not being interested, you know, maybe he gives them like, well, I'm 10% interested or something like that. They would hold on until the last minute uh, until he, they could verify that he signed with the Clippers and then they pivot to kind of whatever was left. And it seems like they're taking the opposite uh, tack this time of, you know, kind of verifying with him and saying, Hey, are you interested? And then he kind of gives them a shrug then moving on to Kyle Lowry uh, and other free agents. So that's, it's kind of, it was kind of a weird just throwaway line at the end of that uh, blurb from Stein, uh, but it was kind of a huge thing to me that you know, I, I think that's kind of where you know why you wanted to talk about it. It's this one little throwaway line, but it's, it's kind of a stunning departure from what the Mavs have done in the past. Don't you think? Definitely. I mean, isn't this kind of what we've all been screaming for them to do is to stop chasing the unrealistic big fish and just go for something a bit more attainable. Uh, you know, we, when we first saw that choir report, we, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, here we go again. You know what we've seen the last 10 years, but to see that they're actually adjusting and adapting their free agency plan before free agency starts is the biggest breath of fresh air. I've, I can possibly imagine, especially when you think about 2019 free agency and when they really kind of felt like they were sitting on their hands and, and a lot of things went by them and they kind of had a set plan and they didn't really deviate from it too much. So this is this is very welcome. And I know Kyle Lowry is kind of – he is also a big name for this free agency period, so it's not like he's necessarily like a smaller smaller target. Uh, he'll definitely be hotly pursued. I mean, the New Orleans Pelicans just offloaded the number 10 pick and, and the contracts of Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams to presumably chase one of these point guards, whether it's Lowry or Spencer Dinwiddie in Brooklyn. So the Maverick, it won't be easy. You know, I think the Miami is also interested. New York Knicks need a point guard. They'll be interested now that they're coming off a playoff se- season. They're ready to spend and win. So it's not going to be easy for the Mavericks, but it, it, I mean, it, it feels way more attainable than Kawhi Leonard, who I just cannot imagine ever leaving Southern California after kind of the stunts he's pulled in San Antonio and, and what he did after, uh, you know, the Raptors championship, like leaving a championship team. Like it seems he's pretty dead set on staying there. So it always seemed weird to me that the Mavericks were so uh, tied into chasing Kawhi. Uh, so like I said, breath of fresh air. And then kind of how do you feel – uh, about Kyle Lowry in general, I know you know he's, we've talked about him in our Slack, but are you, aside from the fact that you're you know we're happy about the Mavericks adjusting their plans, are you excited about them actually chasing Kyle Lowry? Yeah, I, I think Kyle Lowry. I mean, just first of all, on the free agent side of it, it Dallas shouldn't be considered like a favorite to land him, especially if Los Angeles and Miami are uh, you know in the running as well. Um, you mentioned New York. I don't know what his priorities are as far as, you know, chasing a championship or if he's just trying to find the best basketball situation for him, money playing into it. Um, but he seems attainable if that makes sense to the Mavericks. You know, it, it's not just a, a dream or a hope that they have that, you know, there's this 1% chance he could fall into their lap just because, you know, luck or for some weird reason he wants to play the Luka or something like that. Um, so he he's kind of a step below that just – ultra superstar tier and he seems attainable. So if they, if they miss out on Lowry, I wouldn't be upset um, because that's the, you know, that's the type of guy you just, you know, kind of 
throw the market price at him and hope he comes. Uh, because, I mean, if we're talking the fit, um, him and Luca on the floor, I think it 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 shows, especially in his the, the 2019 Toronto Raptors run. Uh, I mean, like he was playing point guard, but he was sharing the ball a lot with Kawhi. So I think he and Luca could share the ball easily, especially uh, if you're considering he's going to, you know, age into like more of a secondary role. So if Porzingis is still on the team, maybe like a third role, third third scoring role. Um, we're just setting the table for guys. But uh, I, I go back to the seven-game series with the Clippers. Um, having Lowry out there in those minutes where Lucas sat, I mean, like, that that might have turned the series. Maybe the Mavs win in five or six if he's out there and they don't lose those non-Luka minutes by such big margins. Um, you know, he, he's obviously not at, you know, at the, the level or age anymore where he can just completely turn things around. Um, and just bolster them into automatic contention. But um, they don't need that. They've got Luca that does that. And they just need a guard that can keep things, keep the offense running when Luca sits. Because as we saw last year, whenever Luca sat, I mean, just the offense just fell apart. Um, so I, I like the fit here in Dallas. Um, and I'm, I know they would have to kind of move some stuff around to get him in here. But I mean, I, I think it's worth it. Um, He's, you know, proven guard. I obviously you're going to worry about the age and when when is his athletic ability going to fall off. Um, but Lowry was never his game's never been built on athletic ability or just explosive athletic ability. So I mean, maybe there's less of a concern for that. Yeah, and there's a lot of data out there that is scary about you know smaller short guards that as they get past thirty. What happens to their production? And Lowry is listed at six zero, uh, six you know six feet even. It wouldn't surprise me if he's like actually closer, you know, maybe to five eleven or something. But you know, any guard that's like under six two and, and gets past the age of thirty, their production historically drops off. But like you said, there hasn't really been any indication of that. And you look at his last handful of seasons, and especially last season at age 34, uh, finished the season at age 35. I mean, you really couldn't tell that much of a difference. I mean, a little over 17 points per game, you know, uh, almost, you know, a little over seven assists, uh, 5.4 rebounds per game, shot 39.6% from three on almost seven, you know, over seven attempts per game. Uh, He would instantly be the Mavericks, like, second or second best three-point shooter behind Tim Hardaway Jr. If, if Tim Hardaway Jr. is retained simply because no one – I mean, when you think about the Mavericks, it's Luka and it's Tim in terms of guys that get high volume, you know, threes. Like, you know, we, we talk about Dorian and Maxi and Kristaps and, and some of the other guys in Brunson. They have good percentages, but they don't shoot that many threes per game because that's just not their – that's not their game because they right. mostly take spot-up shots that Luka gives them. Like, Lowry is taking spot-ups. He's taking pull-ups. You know, he's – He's a lot more diverse in his offensive game than a lot of these other Mavericks role players, clearly. And then I just haven't seen the drop-off. And you consider last season, Toronto was an absolute mess. And most of it wasn't really their fault. They had to, I mean, they played an entire NBA season basically on the road uh, since yeah. they couldn't play their home games in Toronto. They played in Tampa as their home court all year. And uh, Tampa and Toronto are not uh that close on the map so i mean it was a it was a very long you know they have to basically move away from their homes 
you know, thousands, you know, thousands of miles away from their homes for about a year. And then you're still playing a grind of an NBA schedule that was last season and he was still productive. So, you know, if anything, you could maybe hope that next year he's even maybe a little bit better uh, because of the circumstances will obviously be a bit better. He won't be the lead ball handler anymore. And I think he has enough shooting ability. And I think he's played, you know, he's played with other guys that have high usage rates, not as high as Luca, but, you know, he's played with DeMar DeRozan. You know, when he was in Houston and Memphis, he was not necessarily like the lead guy uh, at all times before he got to Toronto. So he's used to playing without the ball. Um, yeah. So like, I don't think that would be as scary a transition for him. And then, of course, you know, like you said, the Mavericks probably win that playoff series if he's on the team uh, because of how well he would probably play during the non luka minutes or at least better than what the Mavericks had, which was basically nothing. Uh I thought it was interesting, you know, pivoting away from from Lowry. The other priority was, you know, bringing back Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Xavier, one of our staff writers who is very plugged into how the cap works. He's going to have a post tomorrow talking about how it's possible to give Kyle Lowry the money he wants and re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, so it will work for the Mavericks cap-wise. But uh, I don't blame the Mavericks for wanting Tim Hardaway Jr. back when you consider just how crucial he was to the team the last couple of years. But I also understand maybe some fans who are a little bit bummed because they maybe think that Hardaway puts like a ceiling. You know, if he's your third best player, there's only kind of so far you can go because he's as great as he is as an off-ball shooter and and as a secondary scorer, he is not a playmaker. He still needs a lot of his offense created for him, and he is not a defender. He's not a rebounder. He's not a passer. Uh, he's simply a shooter scorer, so I get it. But if they can bump him down to maybe being the fourth or fifth best best player on the roster, uh, I think you know he has a place to stay. You know, what do you think about them potentially wanting to bring him back? Yeah, I, I like the idea because it's like you said. There's several games. I mean, when I say several, that makes it sound like three or four. It's probably close to the ten mark. Uh, several, like about ten games, maybe where if Hardaway is not shooting the way he is, they don't win. And that includes some of the playoff games. I mean, so now granted, there's also those games thrown in where he's got 0 for 9 from 3, and it's just absolutely, if he doesn't hit his shots, then he's not doing anything else. Because like you said, he's not a playmaker. He falls asleep on defense a lot. Um, so not even, I mean, he's not a great on-ball defender, but he really loses his man um, on defense a lot. And so I don't know if that's something where he can get better, but I mean, he's, you know, hitting close to 30. So um, it's not, you know, that's kind of who he is right now. I guess there's always this could be this uptick in concentration on defense. Um, but typically we've seen, you know, players of that uh, archetype, they're just kind of more concerned with shooting than defense. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there, there, there's a role for him. And I think that's obvious that the Mavericks want him in that role. And I think a lot of Mavs fans want him in that role. It's, it's been a really weird um, transformation over a couple of years for where we considered him a tax to get Porzingis. And now he's um, probably been the, the, at least as valuable as Porzingis in that trade, if not more. So um, I, I like the idea of keeping him. Um, I, I think he's one of those flexible uh, players where uh, if they can upgrade his spot on the roster, they should. I don't see an easy path to that. So I think they, especially just where they are with their cap, the easier thing to do would be just to bring, you know, sign him and bring him back because it, if they bring him back at, at around 20 million, that's a, that's a tradable contract. I mean, 
Um, the skill set he has is always going to be valuable throughout the league, unless his shooting percentage just all of a sudden falls off a cliff, which I just doubt. Unless there's some sort of big injury with him, he's always going to be a player that can be traded pretty easily. So if they need to move some contracts around to acquire another player a little bit better, uh, higher up on the uh, totem pole superstar-wise, then, yeah, he would be easily tradable. So so I think the value of having him under contract is just far exceeds letting him walk. You, I don't think there's a player really available out there that, that's easily attainable for the Mavericks that I would flip uh, Hardaway for. So um, you're talking, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about signing trades for him and stuff like that. And I just really, I I don't, I don't know who you're getting back that's going to bring that skill set. Um, maybe you could talk me into getting, if you could somehow sign and trade him and get two quality rotation players for him, that would be great. Because, But I can't even think again of um, a deal that would do that. I think Best case scenario, if you're signing and trading Hardaway, you're kind of just you're not really improving. You're just staying the same. You're just switching players, if that makes sense. So, um, I like I said, I, I'm one of those fans that got turned around on Hardaway. I completely just saw him as someone to be traded later, and and now he's been a big part of their their two playoff teams in the last two years. So that's where I'm hanging on him. Yeah, I'm right there with you in terms of like the way I've been swayed. Like I went from I couldn't wait till his contract was over when he first got here to holy crap, he might be the second most important player on the Mavericks roster in terms of influencing uh, wins and losses. Uh, so yeah, quite I wouldn't mind him being back so long as it doesn't get in the way of improving other spots on the roster because, like you said, they desperately need they need more. Yeah, his, uh, yeah, his shooting is really important because I think a lot of people kind of look at his shooting percentage and Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Cleavers, and they're all about the same. But it, it's like you mentioned, Hardaway Jr. has got a higher volume of shots, mm-hmm. and they are less wide-open shots. Dorian, so, you know, people need to take that into consideration that when you see Dorian and uh, Maxi shooting similar percentages to him, that's on wide-open shots, and, and Hardaway's not getting those shots. So he opens up that interior for Luca a little bit more than those guys do. Um, even if they're sitting, sh- shooting the same percentages, uh, he's drawing defenders out more than Kleber and uh, Finney Smith are. And, I, and it's one of those things where shooting is a big reputation thing. I think we've talked about it a lot in the Slack that Porzingis, um, based on his percentages and especially some of his wide open shooting percentages, really shouldn't be guarded as far out as he sets up. But you know, that first shot he takes, if it goes in, it just really sets the opposing defenses on fire. They just, it makes them just kind of panic and they stick to him way, you know, way out on the three point line and it really opens up uh, space for Luca. So, you know, that just that reputation of shooting uh, helps a lot um, on the floor, just in ways that we really don't see sometimes. Yeah, totally, completely agreed. Um so let's now pivot. We've got about 15 minutes left. So let's pivot to two of the free agents, two of the four, I believe you've written for us, free agency profiles. Uh, all been great. And like I said, we really appreciate our whole staff. Just want to shout out our staff for how uh, awesome they've been and getting these free agent profiles out as we have a really shortened off season in terms of when the season ends and, and when free agency starts. So this has been this has been awesome. And the two you wrote, uh, two of the ones we're going to talk about are DeMar DeRozan and Otto Porter Jr. Uh, we could start with DeMar DeRozan, and that one 
might might not be relevant for for a little bit longer <laughs> if the rumors are true and the Mavericks are actually going for his former teammate Lowry, and we haven't really heard much about the Mavs and DeRozan, so uh, we don't know what the shelf life is. But let's talk about it anyway, while th- it still feels a little bit open in terms of being a possibility. Um, I'll just start first because DeRozan is like really interesting because I think if you guys have been listening to me and reading me uh, for the last six to 12, I mean, really the last 24 months, I'm just of the opinion the Mavericks need talent and it doesn't matter what kind of talent. It doesn't matter what how flawed that talent is. They just need to get better uh, and they can't keep rolling out a roster that is mostly second round you know half the rotation can't just be second round picks and undrafted free agents uh they need some more starter level quality guys and obviously DeRozan is that and last season averaged over 21 points a game almost seven assists in 61 games in San Antonio I believe that was a career high for assists uh he fits the billing he he can handle the ball he can get to the free throw line he can get his own shot he can score in mid-range he can carry an offensive burden while Luca is either uh, on the floor and not having to have, you know, run every possession through him or on the bench, which again, the Mavericks offense struggled a lot with Luca on the bench, especially in the playoffs. So he, he kind of fits the bill on paper, but I'm just always, I'm just skeptical because DeRozan's defense is obviously, if you've been paying attention to the NBA for the last six or seven years and you plugged in, his defense is horrible. Uh, he's always been a bad defender. His three point shooting has never been there. Uh, he shot 25% last season. He only took 1.2 attempts per game. So that little progress he made in Toronto toward the end of his Toronto run where he was shooting a little bit more, uh, that's that's pretty much gone. Uh, he just does not shoot threes, and he doesn't shoot them well when he does shoot them. Um, so, you know, when you think about playing next to Luka, not being able to shoot threes, not being able to play defense, that's a tough sell, but you just can't deny how good of a scorer and how good of a playmaker he is. And that's also just the Mavericks roster is so talent poor. They need that too. So I, I don't want to, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And it feels weird for me to have the take about, you know, they just need talent. Who cares? And then be being really, really weird about his, his weaknesses, but it, it's a tough one. So you wrote the profile kind of what's your take? It's very similar to yours. I, I'm of the opinion that going forward, uh, the Mavericks can't have anyone on the floor with Luka that's not a at least average shooter uh, from three-point. And so obviously that is not DeRozan. Uh, I mean, maybe you can get away with a center out there that's not a three-point shooter, but the other three guys on the court with Luka need to be shooters. And so I'm really hesitant to bring in a guy like DeRozan who – um, kind of, you know, we brought up that reputation factor in the three-point shooting with Porzingis and Hardaway. Well, not only does he not shoot well from three, he doesn't shoot at all. And so it, it takes away a space on the floor that defenders have to worry about. So when DeRozan's out there, they're not going to have to be concerned with him on the three-point line that can sag back into the paint and get in Luka's way. And I think that's a huge concern that's kind of what, you know, in the profile that was in the weaknesses that I brought up of his, because it's, it's like you mentioned, I'm, I'm like you, it kind of irritates me and makes me angry that uh, the Mavericks have done so poorly at acquiring assets and kind of building this team that I'm, I'm of the same opinion as you is that they can't choose really. They just need to improve the talent and then worry about the fit later. So that's kind of where I ended up with on the profile is, okay, you know, this, DeRozan does not fit. I mean, like a backcourt of Luca and DeRozan is 
just a defensive nightmare uh, for the Mavericks. <laughs> it, I, I just shudder to think of the opposing guards that they would have to play that would just just run through them easily. Um, Luca tries on defense. He puts in some really good effort, but again, he's he's always that's never going to be the strength of his game. Um, so I just I, I hate the fit, but it's like you said, the Mavericks are not in a position to worry about fit right now. Uh, maybe that's something they can figure out later. Uh, but right now, uh, DeRozan you know, would have probably been their second best player uh, in the playoffs last year uh, it, easily. Um, so I I really I hate the thought of him and Luca out there, just the way it would gum up the offense, especially with Luca's drive to the paint. Because again, I think the Mavericks um, ideal on offense should be just to make Luca getting into the paint as easy as possible. Um, because as much as we like seeing those step back three pointers, that's really where he gets so much damage. He does so much damage to opposing teams is when he's able to penetrate in the paint and either score on weird floaters you know, little post moves or kicking it out to teammates. So um, I, I think that's where you saw some of their struggling this year was when um, teams could really, you know, crowd the paint and cause Luca problem, make it hard on Luca to maneuver in the paint. And so, you know, if you've got the Rosen out there, I'm just really not sure what that would look like at, you know, it's one of those things where we'd really have to see it over the course of a half a season or something, just to look at, see what the offense would look like. But again, it would be really helpful when Luca sits or when he's just exhausted from running the offense so much to have DeRozan out there to, you know, ISO a little bit, um, especially some of these games where Luca sat, uh, sat out the whole game, either because of just a wrist or a sore knee or something like that. Um, it would have been really nice to, you know, just see DeRozan take 25 shots and just kind of, run the offense that night. And especially, like you said, he's got a career high in assist last year. I think the year before with the Spurs, his assists were up, you know, a, a higher than they've ever been when he was in Toronto. So he's kind of added that playmaking to his game. And that's something, again, the Mavericks do not have outside of Luka. So, um, again, I, I, like on the profile, I, I came down to the fit is bad, but we really have no other choice but to kind of upgrade that talent. Totally. Right there with you. And let's go on. We've got about eight minutes left. Let's go quickly hit Otto Porter Jr. before we get out of here. Uh, and he, uh, that one's an interesting one. We both kind of – you decided on that to talk about that one before we came on the air. Um, he's been someone I think a lot of Mavericks fans, and myself included, have wanted for some time. He's kind of fit the prototypical 3 and D wing that, that the Mavericks really just haven't had uh, despite many efforts in trying to acquire one. The closest they've gotten is to Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, and obviously Finney Smith ha- had a pretty good year last two years or pretty good seasons last two seasons, but Otto Porter at his peak is kind of the pinnacle of what you'd want out of a three and D uh, role playing wing. Uh, the, the problem is, is this guy just can't simply stay on the floor. I mean, he's played, uh, all, he's played 10 seasons in his career. And in those 10 seasons, he's played about 440 games. He has not played in 70 games in a season since 2017, 2018. Uh, and after that, it was just kind of, uh, he's just been dealing with a bunch of lower body injuries and just nicks and bruises. And he just, he just can't stay on the floor uh, for whatever reason. Um, and he's just have a long history. He just has a long history of that. Uh, he didn't really play much again last season. He played in a total of 28 games. 
played in 25 and he played in 25 of them with Chicago when he got traded uh, for Nikola Vucevic uh, in the, at the trade deadline, he only played three games for Orlando before he was done. So he's on the decline, which maybe makes him more attainable. Maybe he is a buy low guy. Uh, I don't know if his pedigree uh, from his prior seasons, you know, when he was with Washington and his first, first couple of years in, in Chicago still hold water in terms of what his free agency value is, but uh, he's definitely someone, you know, that if he's on the floor, he'll help. It's just, is he going to be on the floor and is he going to be worth it for the Mavericks to pursue? And I'm not sure, like if, if the money is right, sure. But the Mavericks already rely on a guy, Kristaps Porzingis, who was not on the floor a lot. And if they, it's it's going to be hard to spend big money on another guy that also can't stay on the floor. So to me, he feels like an intriguing buy low candidate and maybe so, like another Mavericks reclamation project because they seem to be pretty good at doing that. But but otherwise, it might be a little spooky. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, you know that when it just all depends on the contract. Um, the headline of the article that I wrote was Otto Porter Jr. is exactly what the Mavericks need. And that's, that's the case. They need a wing who can shoot and play defense against other wings. Uh, that's something they're missing. Everybody loves Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, he's kind of developed an oversized reputation on the defensive end. Um, so I, I think they really need something like that. But it's like you said, if Otto Porter was a sure thing, then his contract would probably be outside of the Mavericks range. Um, if he was if he was healthy all the time, if he was fully engaged, he you know he'd be one of the most sought out free agents were, you know, in the market this year, maybe wouldn't even reach the free agent market. He probably would have been locked up with an extension or something like that. So it's all going to depend on, you know, the, the price of the contract. If they can get him, you know, as a, you know, buy low, just take a, a flyer on this guy, then absolutely they should go after him. But if it, if, if he starts really getting if teams are in a bidding war for Otto Porter Jr., which I just really can't imagine, or some team, you know, one of these like Charlotte or, I don't think Indiana has a space, but one of these small market teams that really doesn't get a lot of free agents, if they swoop in and just offer him a, a contract that's too big for the uh, production he's put up the last couple of years, then absolutely the Mavericks should back out of that. But it's, it's one of those things where if they can um, really get in there and get a, you know, um, a good contract for a wing that can shoot, then they absolutely need to get involved in it. Totally. I could see him, you know, maybe buying low and him being someone that comes off the bench, which they desperately needed because Dorian did not get a lot of help. He had to play so many minutes because he was basically the only three and D wing on the roster that that was playable. So, yeah, if they can yeah. buy low, maybe him come off the bench. Maybe that helps manage his minutes, manage his, his injury history and his health. That, that could work. Um, but, man, Ben, thank you so much. We're almost running up against our time limit here. I I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, sorry that this is it's taken so long to get you onto one of our podcasts, but this was great, and I and I hope to have you on again. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Joshua. I enjoyed it. Awesome. That is Ben Zadell, MazMoneyBall.com writer. You can see a lot of his work on our site right now. He's been doing a lot of great work for us, especially in this offseason. I feel like he's had a lot of great pieces, whether it's on free agency, uh, how the Mavericks are going to build their team this summer, uh, thoughts on the leadership changes, uh, a lot of good stuff. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. Maybe the next time this feed updates after this podcast, you will hear the uh, familiar and comforting voice of our our managing editor, Kirk Henderson. 
maybe not. This is going to be a pretty crazy week, but we'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can get Kurt back. Uh, and hey, free agency starts next week. It is here. The NBA draft is happening soon as well in the next few days. So uh, lots uh, happening. Uh, the Mavericks could have a completely different roster in the span of eight eight to ten days, which is very uh, exciting and nerve-wracking. But I hope you guys will join us along the way. We'll have lots of great stuff on the site uh, for the rest of this month and going into August. So stay tuned. Keep checking this feed. Keep checking the site. Again, this is Josh Bowe for MavsMoneyBall.com, and we will talk to you next time.